Welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today from downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we have a bunch of letters. Yay! <laughs> That's so good. We didn't do letters the last couple weeks, but we're, we have a bunch this week. Well, what do we have, like 17 subscribers now? <laughs> Is that good? How are we doing? Any audience? Found it. Four listens so far. In only an hour. At this rate, we're going to be like at two million by Thursday. Any comments? Oh yeah, Charles Hayden Savage is a. It's it's good. It's a a good nice comment. It's good. Oh yeah, I bet it's good. Did, did you use my concertina music? So this week, our chat, our topic is inspired by a letter that we got from Sally, and it's not like a typical question, like a yarn etiquette or a technique or a problem question. It's a big dream question. It's aspirational. So Sally wrote, I've been knitting for probably half a century, but in the last year or so, what was simple enjoyment has become something like obsession. I am on fire for this ancient craft. This summer, I read Gwen Stieg's The Knitter's Life List and was inspired to start my own knitter's bucket list. And she attached some photos, which we have posted on Instagram, and they're great, and everyone should go look at them. Sally's adorable. I think she's my new best friend. Sally's list includes learning to steek and attending a fiber festival, but she also aspires to use the fleece of an animal whose name she knows and preferably that she's met. And so her question for us was, do either of us have a knitter's bucket list and what's on it? That is such a fun question, Sally. (laughs) And I didn't know I had a knitter bucket list until you asked us. So it's not well formed, but I have always got dreams about what I would like to be doing someday. Yeah, I think everybody has those like long-standing sometime projects, even if they are kind of hazy. Someday I want to knit socks. Someday I want to knit a sweater. Someday I want to hug a sheep. Dream big knitters. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. So do we get to talk about our secrets and dreams and hopes now? I mean, yes, I think we do. So I want to tell a story. Because when we were thinking about prepping for this, the first thing I thought of was the Celestarium, which I have mm-hmm. talked about before. It's the big circle shawl that has like the constellations knit into it. There are a bunch of like yarn over lacy bits, and then it has beadwork. The pattern is written by Audrey Nicklin, and I know it's on Ravelry and a couple of other places. Here's the thing this has always been the impossible task for me. I had this memory of the shawl as being, I don't know, knit with lace weight and being at least 15 feet in diameter and like (laughs) totally impossible. Like I was clearly never going to have the time or the patience or the focus or whatever to do this thing. It's like 1,200 yards of fingering weight. That's totally doable. And it is going to take a lot of focus because there is this sort of irregular in the sense of it's not a repeating pattern, Mm -hmm. you know, pattern throughout it and I have to figure out how to do beads which is something I did in a class one time and did incorrectly and I like hid that project away and never (laughs) touched again (laughs) but this is a totally attainable dream I think it's a stunning shawl like it's it's really striking it's very beautiful yeah and I think you should make it this is kind of the thing I want to say as we're starting this five years ago version of me didn't think I could ever knit this thing 
totally doable, totally worth revisiting, totally not the impossible task that has to be put off forever that I kind of thought it was. You turned it into a giant. Right. It's not. (laughs) It's like a totally within the range of normal pattern yardage and yarn weight that you would look at. Yeah. We talked about this in an episode like a while ago, the wall of awful around projects. I had like developed my own kind of wall of awful around this project and specifically like my belief in my ability to do the project, which is more than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you about my wall of awful giant thing that I would like to do as a knitter? Yes. Which I feel like it shouldn't be like this. I would like to knit myself an intarsia sweater. Yes. One sweater specifically. It's the Lara jacket, L-A-R-A jacket by Shiny Superhero. And it's got a zipper, which I love the idea of a zippered cardigan style jacket thing, but I've never installed a zipper in my hand knits. Yeah. And it's like intarsia polka dots. Amazing. Adorable. Polka dots are maybe second place in my heart to stripes. (laughs) I love stripes. Also love polka dots. But the thought of an intarsia polka dot jacket feels overwhelming to me. And it shouldn't because I know how to knit intarsia. I've never knit a whole garment using that technique, but I am proficient enough that I can teach classes on intarsia. I can knit a mean intarsia swatch. Yeah. Bobbins everywhere. I I can talk (laughs) about it. I'm not scared of intarsia, but the thought of doing a whole garment for my whole human-sized body feels like so much work. Yeah. But it's probably not any more work than any other whole human-sized sweater that I knit for myself. No, and I feel like in Tarja Projects, the person who is writing the project is aware that there is like a bobbin management issue. Mm-hmm. And they are going to give you some kind of help. The first thing I ever knit that was in Tarja, the suggestion, it was knit flat. It was a scarf that was knit flat. And the suggestion was... Something like when you finish a right side row, turn your work counterclockwise. And when you finish a wrong side row, turn your work clockwise. Zero percent did I keep track of that or do it. But like. (laughs) Nice thought. Yeah. She was trying to help me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And those problems exist with regular color work. And we all kind of know, like, I am the worst about being tangled up in my yarn. You really are. (laughs) I'm always like. It's a unique skill. Yeah. But those exist. And don't really get acknowledged in most, you know, stranded color work patterns. So at least the pattern designer is rooting for you with a with an intarsia project. <laughs> oh, that's a nice way to think about it. Maybe I'll knit it this year. Yeah. Well, never mind. Not this year. This year is short and I have a bunch of projects planned. Maybe next year. Yeah. Will be my time to shine. Mm-hmm. You know what else I would like to knit? I would like to knit a hap. Oh, Yeah. A couple of years ago, Kate Davies wrote a book, and it was called The Book of Haps. And if you're not familiar with the term, I think hap is a Scottish word that refers to like a shawl or a wrap. But a hap is a particular style. It comes in like a variety of shapes and sizes, but it's generally a pretty big wrap that is historically popular in the Shetland region. So this book, the first part of it, is kind of a historical overview of the tradition of haps and how people made them and like how they were worn. And then there is a section of patterns by a variety of designers, not just Kate Davies, that kind of imagineers the contemporary hap. But I think I would like to try and knit a traditional Shetland hap, which my favorite ones are enormous square shawls. 
that are kind of like folded and wrapped and configured around your body. You'll sometimes see pictures of people wearing them where it like comes from your back and around your shoulders and crosses over the front of your body and then kind of comes around behind you and you tie it behind your back. It's like a crisscross hug that you're wearing. (laughs) And I feel like it would be a lot of knitting, but I'm interested in doing it. So I think that's on my bucket list. I feel like it might be a slow, long project. But have you seen pictures of hap frames or ever seen one in person? Do people like put them on the wall? I think sometimes they can be framed and hung on the wall, but it's like a blocking frame. Oh. Where if you're familiar with the Ikea calic shelves, (laughs) the big one that's like a five by five cube of shelving. To pick a random object that we're literally looking at right now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) This thing that is in front of me. It's like a big wood frame, like just a giant square, and then it has kind of pegs or nails, pins, something, all around that frame, and you block your hap, you stretch it on this big, huge frame, so all of your stitches open up because it's a huge piece of knitting, so you need a big frame to stretch it out on, and there's something just so intriguing to me about that. (laughs) Like, maybe I want to build a blocking frame for the hap that someday I will knit. Who knows? But that's a bucket list thing, I think. What else do you want to do, Karen? I want to knit myself a brioche sweater. Oh, I've knit brioche. Mm -hmm. I've just never done it as a sweater because I just haven't done it. And I would like to. I don't have any like particular pattern or anything in mind. Hohi Locatelli just came out with that beautiful brioche pullover, the newspaper pullover. I love it. I'm obsessed. Right. And I don't really know if that's the brioche pullover for me, but I've looked at it an awful lot. It's a really good sweater. (laughs) I don't know what it is about it, but it is 100% appealing. I also kind of feel like at this point finishing my Cinnabar is on my bucket list just because I would really like (laughs) to get that thing done before I die. And I think that's attainable. Get that thing done by the end of the year. You just kind of, if you pulled it out of its bag. Right. You say that like it isn't deep in a bag. I don't know where it is, but I know it's in a bag somewhere and I bet we could find it. I bet you know where it is and you just don't want to think about it. Socks. What about socks? I think some year, not this year because it's almost over, but I think some year I might try to knit myself a pair of socks every month. Oh, sure. Because I really like hand-knit socks, and I knit them seldom. I always have one on the needles, Mm -hmm. but I never really commit to, like, start to finish a pair of socks. So they just kind of languish, and when I hit a dry spell, I'm like, eh, I guess I'll drag this sock around with me for a week till I pick a new project. (laughs) They're very much like millennials eating ramen over the kitchen sink at three in the morning or something. Like, that's what socks are in my knitting life. But I love them, and I should just make more of them. Hand-knit socks are kind of the best. They super are. So maybe some year. Yeah. Bucket list. I really want to try the Rosamina technique, which is the Estonian colorwork technique I was talking about a couple episodes ago. The name had, like, blown out of my brain. Alex Bird has some really beautiful Rosamina patterns. Ah. And there's one in particular that is a sweater with Rosamina colorwork down the sleeves that I think is really gorgeous. But also, it would be really great on like mittens or something. I just want to try that technique. And it feels like the kind of thing that if I don't make it a goal to try that technique, it will keep getting backburnered. Sure. And I don't want it to get backburnered. I want to wear the mittens. <laughs> Knit the mittens. 
I feel like mittens feel like an even more accessible sized project than a sweater with this technique on the sleeves. Like you could just do those like a snack. Right. And then when I inevitably adore the technique, I will knit the sleeves and a sweater to put them on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So much knitting. Maybe not in that order. (laughs) So good. You know what else is on my bucket list? What's that? Travel. Knitting travel. (laughs) Yes. We've been trying to go to Scotland for 30 years now. At least. At least 30 years. Maybe 50. It's hard to say. A couple of years. Mm -hmm. And the global condition has not allowed (laughs) us to do it. But I'm excited about someday being able to take our trip to Scotland and then other trips to other places in the future. Undetermined, not planned, non-specific. Anywhere where there are fiber people and fiber animals I'm interested in going. Like maybe someday we could go to Nunavut. Oh my goodness. And learn more about Kiviut and see a muskox in its (laughs) natural environment. Like that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Or we could go to Peru and meet alpacas and get to meet the ranchers who care for these animals and create all this beautiful fiber that people knit with. Like there are so many options. Endless bucket list just for that. I would like to go to someone's farm in like, I don't know, Ohio and (laughs) meet their Angora rabbits. Like there are so many fiber opportunities. I'm not even thinking of anyone specific, but I bet that person exists. (laughs) This is so fun, Sally. Thanks for asking us because I hadn't even really thought about it. Oh, you know what else I would like to do speaking of travel? Oh. Specifically, I would like to visit more mills. Oh, yeah. We've had the opportunity to visit our three most local to us mills, which would be Harrisville Designs in Harrisville, New Hampshire, and Green Mountain Spinnery in Putney, Vermont, and also the Junction Fiber Mill in White River Junction, Vermont, that just opened last year. And getting to see the different size of these operations, like the scale at which they work and have equipment for, and the different types of yarn that they're producing all within an hour of each other is fascinating. And because I've never been a mill worker, it's all kind of like awe-inspiring to me. What am I looking at? What does this (laughs) thing do? Don't touch it. Buckets for (laughs) yeah, no, hands in my pockets like I'm three years old. Yeah. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. I try to behave. (laughs) I don't want to I don't want to lose a finger. I'm going to tell you something that isn't on my bucket list. Oh, our very formal bucket list. (laughs) Right. (laughs) My beekeeper's quilt. Oh, I started a beekeeper's quilt 800 years ago. Yes. They're beautiful. It has been this low-key nagging obligation for me ever since then. First of all, first of all, no one ever really finishes a beekeeper's quilt. And you could always add more hexi puffs. Right? Mm -hmm. But every time I start a new project, there is this little voice in the back of my head that's like, you know, you have this work in progress. I am not going to commit to ever finishing that thing. Do you feel like you have any ballpark idea of how many hexi puffs you've knit? Oh, hundreds. Really? Oh, yeah. Hundreds. And like, are they all together? No. (laughs) Oh. Okay, because I've definitely seen maybe a bag of hexi puffs or maybe different bags of hexi puffs and not really been aware of what I was seeing. Yeah, there's like three stashes of hexi puffs. Really? And it may secrets. It, it may get done. <laughs> 
but it doesn't have to. It's okay if it doesn't. I think I probably messed up sure. all the seaming on the ones that are together anyway, because I was really bad at seaming until, I don't know, last week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, I would spend all of this time watching tutorials of what I'm going to call the knitting part of knitting, right? Like you want to get the yarn over right or whatever. But then when it would come to seaming, I'd be like, I know how to sew th two things together. And I would just do whatever felt like it came naturally with the needles. And <gasps> whip it never stitch, went... <laughs> whip stitch. <laughs> and it never went well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> seaming can be a bear. You feel like you're emotionally done with a project. And then there's this essential final step. Yes. That is maybe not as fun as like the knitting part is. You can't really sit and watch a movie and drink a glass of wine and chat with your friends or whatever you're doing. You just have to look at your project and not mess up. So when I seamed my barn heart, I loved seaming that thing. It was neat. It was just mattress stitch. It was just cool watching it like zip up. It was very satisfying. Like I love mattress stitch. I might rip all those hexy puffs apart or... Or it might be like the evolution quilt where like on one side, it's some, we're going to call that some creative decision making that I did. Mm -hmm. And then as you like progress toward the other corner. That's kind of a lovely idea. <laughs> How nice. You can see your knitter growth and progression of skills and just embrace all of it. That's right. <laughs> what a good attitude. Speaking of progressing skills, you know what else I would really like to do sometime? And I kind of share this with Sally. She put steaking on her list. I have steaked unsuccessfully and would like to do it successfully sometime. Have I told this story? I don't know if you've told the story. Oh, well, I'm going to tell it now. So I was knitting. It was a gift. It was a colorwork cardigan. And the person that this cardigan was for had requested that the majority of the body be neon yellow. Like highlighter yellow. It was very highlighter. Yeah. And I think the experience that my eyeballs had with this like really contributed to my overall feeling about what happened. So I had never steeked before and I wanted indie dyed yarn for this project. And so what I had selected was superwash. It was fingering weight. I knit a fingering weight colorwork sweater. And then I messed it up at the steaking stage because I cut the wrong column and everything unraveled. And I tried to fix it and then this kid has, like, long outgrown this cardigan by now. It had to go into timeout for, like, years. Yeah. It was a tough time. I would like to successfully steak something. I would like you to successfully steak something, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want you to share my love of steaking. It's, it's like my favorite little adrenaline-filled knitting project. Steaking is so much fun. So I think I set myself up for failure in multiple ways. Sure. I set myself up for failure by doing it for the first time with superwash. Mm -hmm. A little slippery. Fingering weight in a color that I couldn't focus my eyes on. Sure. And then I just went to town with some scissors and it didn't go great. <laughs> that was a dark day. It, oh, that was rough. <laughs> I was like, oh. And I was psyching myself up beforehand because, you know, that's the thing, right? Everybody's like, what if I mess up the steaking? And everybody's always like, you can't, you're not going to mess it up. You're not going to mess it up. Maybe we could look at this as I took one for the team on that one. If there's some percentage of steaking that needs to get messed up, I absorbed that in this project. <laughs> and now everybody else is safe. 
it's fine. <laughs> Everyone else go wild with your embroidery snips. Right. I don't think I was even using embroidery snips. I think I grabbed scissors off the wall. So part what? of this project was that it was no thinking, only chaos. <laughs> I, I think I grabbed the like kind of dull scissors that we use to cut the ties when we wind yarn. And also sometimes used to cut open the packaging tape on boxes of inventory. Right. Oh, yeah. Good choice. <laughs> I cannot reiterate this often enough. Fingering weight yarn. And these are kind of big, heavy shears. They're not even like scissors. They're, I would call them shears. They have big blades. Yeah. We use them for this one purpose because there's no chance you're going to accidentally set them down. Like they're objects that when you're using them, you're aware that you're using them. Anyway, hmm. I would like to successfully steek sometime. I support this. <laughs> I think I just need to find the colorwork cardigan that I can't ignore. And then I will have no choice. It will call to you yeah. and you'll know it's your time. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was but not. if I see you trying to reach for a fingering weight superwash neon colored yarn for that cardigan, I will say, Karen, stop. And yeah. think about your life choices. Right. And then proceed. Yeah. Minimize the chaos. <laughs> Some thinking slightly less chaos. <laughs> A little bit less. Maybe appropriate tools. Well, this is fun. This is fun. And now we have like a record of some of our bucket list items. Maybe we can add to them in the future or do a check-in. If I get to go meet some Angora rabbits in Ohio, I'll be like, <laughs> bucket list update. <laughs> we need bucket list update music. And then we can post pictures of our bucket list adventures. There's so many things we can do. Excellent. Thank you, Sally. Can I read another email that we got? Oh, please do. Because it's an update from a previous episode. Oh, who's it from? So it's from Katie, who is our professional archaeologist, like actual no-joke archaeologist. And also our friend. Yes, and also our friend who wanted to follow up on something from the history episode. And I'm just going to read a section of the email that she sent. She says, I was chatting with Romanist friends about the Vindalanda tablets, which, just to remind folks, those were the ones that a soldier had written home saying, please send me more socks and underwear. And I was concerned because they weren't found at home. They were found where he was sending them from. And I was worried he never got his socks and underwear. And we agreed that at least some of these are probably drafts of things that did, in fact, get sent out, possibly on different material, possibly on the wooden leaves. Of course, some of them may have just been discarded and not sent at all, but it's at least possible that the poor Egyptian soldier got his socks. I am going to believe that he got his socks. I hope he got his socks. In my heart. It'd be sad if he didn't. Yeah. But I suppose there's no way to know. Thank you, Katie, for, <laughs> for looking out. And also, I just, since it is not my field, I love the thought of, I was chatting with some Romanist friends <laughs> as, about these tablets, as one does, like, so amazing. It just I like hope you were doing it like somewhere fancy. Maybe it was probably in your office though. I don't know. Where you hang out with Romanist friends. In Rome, I think. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Jessica. Karen. Are you ready? Oh no, for what? For our last letter of the evening. Another letter? Yes. Let's do it.
This letter comes to us from Krista. Hi, Krista. I've been crocheting for over 35 years, but only started knitting about a year ago. I have a question about holding yarn double. I've done this many times in both crochet and knitting, but I find that the skeins or balls sometimes get twisted or tangled. I've tried a bag with two grommets that guide the yarn, and that seems to help, but I was wondering about other options. I'm very new to winding yarn, as I have just bought a Swift and winder recently. My question is, after winding the twisted hanks into a cake, can you wind the two strands of yarn together into the same cake and then pull from it to knit? Or will it become a tangled mess of yarn barf? Specifically in case it makes a difference, I want to do this with superwash merino wool in either fingering or DK weight. Ah, good question, Krista. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that there may be some people who would say, no, don't do this. (laughs) I'm sure they exist, but I don't understand those people. (laughs) I feel like you can kind of do whatever you want. This is my approach to everything. I will tell you, though, that I have done this many a times. I have wound skeins together for myself. I have done it many times for people in the shop who are like, I would like to hold these two doubled. I do not want to knit from two things. What can do? And I say, (laughs) I'll tell you what can do. I'm going to wind them into a single ball for you. So, yeah, it's totally doable. I would give you a little bit of advice, though, because winding from your swift onto a ball winder is one thing because there is tension from the swift holding your skein open and it feeds directly to the ball winder. Once your yarn is wound into a cake, you have to figure out how to make that cake stay still. You can't just stick it on the table and start wildly cranking away (laughs) with two little cakes sitting there and hope that they just sit nicely. Because as you wind yarn out of the center of the cake, the cake starts to lose structure because you're pulling yarn out of it. So when you knit from a cake, over time it starts to like deflate and collapse in your project bag. That's what's going to happen to your yarn on the table. So you can take your two little cakes and sit them side by side and ask a helper to hold on to them. Like they could put their hands on top of them so that the yarn like runs in between their fingers so they're kind of held in place while you crank your ball winder. If you have yarn bowls, you could put them in yarn bowls and wind the yarn through the little coils that hold the yarn in place when you're knitting from them and crank that way. You could use your bag with the grommets. Yep. As long as you, I don't know, put like a brick in the bottom of the bag or something. I don't know how big it is, but like, don't let the bag come flying up off the floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get creative. But you want to find ways to kind of hold them sort of stationary as they're being pulled apart. The other word of advice I have for you is don't wind too fast. I would say that you're going to use your ball winder to create a lower tension, looser ball by winding more slowly than you would if you were just winding a single skein off of your Swift. That will help you have a better behaving cake of yarn held double. The other thing you need to keep in mind is once you do this, That's their life. That's how that (laughs) yarn lives. But I would say it is probably a rare person who will wind that yarn double and then think to themselves, you know what? Maybe not the right choice. Right. I would like those to be single skeins again (laughs) because it will be a project 
to separate those two strands of yarn. Not impossible, but not easy. Do you remember the sleeve of my Roy G. Biv that I had to rip back? Mm-hmm. And that was one where you were holding three skeins together, and I think I had wound like two of them together for some reason. And I had maybe knit one sleeve too long or too big, or I had done something where one sleeve was needed to go all the way back to the beginning. And it was like, I had to separate some of the strands because it was like four different balls of yarn. It was, it was nobody's favorite. No, it was another dark day. <laughs> right. The other thing I would say about winding two skeins together, mm-hmm. somewhere in this process, it will occur to you that you only have to pre-wind one skein and you can just put the other one on the swift. That is a false idea because the tension will be very different. And what will end up happening is you'll get to the end of one skein sooner than the other and you'll realize that something's gone wrong and then those skeins are stuck together. Yeah. You do have to work from both of them as cakes. You'll be happier. It'll be an easier process. Mm. Well, happy winding, Krista. You're going to love it. Hey, Jessica, what's on your needles? It's my Rhinebeck sweater still, but I'm almost done. I have moved on to sleeves. I have two things to tell you about this. Uh I did the bind off on the body and was feeling lazy and was like, you know what? I don't want to have to look up Jenny's stretchy bind off because I never remember how to do it. I'm like, I'll just go up a needle size and it'll be fine. And then I tried it on and was like, nope, it's not as (laughs) fine as I thought it was. So I am waiting to pick that out until after the sleeves are knit in case I need to adjust the length or something. And two, the other thing I have to tell you is I took that knitting with us. I mean, you know this, but I'm just going to talk about it here. (laughs) I took that knitting with us when we went out to Squam to say hello to people and visit the first night of the fall retreat and ran into Andrea Mowry and she was like, I like those stripes. I like those colors. And I was like, do you want to touch my sweater? <laughs> and she did. And we got to talk about my baby's first design my own sweater. And now I feel like my sweater's been blessed by a butterfly and that it will turn out great. <laughs> and it will just be a good project once I finally get it done. She was in support of your technique of using boucle, using textured yarn. So that if something went wrong with the raglan or whatever, it was just kind of like inside the boucle and no one would be able to see it. Yeah, it was like, this will hide all of the sins of my math. <laughs> Hopefully it's okay. But if it's not, probably no one will notice. Mm-hmm. What's on your needles, Karen? My Cladonia. I'm almost ready to split for the sleeves. Yay! Yeah. I genuinely think that once I split for the sleeves, I'm going to feel like I'm making some progress. Mm-hmm. And then we'll actually not be too uh, to pick it up because it's been going so slowly. And some of the some of the problem is that I've had kind of an intense computer project that's been like cutting into my evening knitting time. And so it's like, you know, instead of knitting for a while, I'm knitting for a very short while. And some of it is that it's like concentration knitting. And so after computer project, I don't always have the concentration to not mess it up. <laughs> Yeah, you picked a pay attention to it project. Yeah, but I'm wearing it. I'm wearing it to India Untangled one way or another. There may be four different needles holding all the live stitches, but I am going to wear it. I don't care. It might just be a little cape. I don't care. I'm wearing it. It's going to be amazing. 
<laughs> it's nice yarn. You're going to love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that might be it for us this week. I think that's amazing. <laughs> you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your audio podcasts. You may have already found us from one of those places. <laughs> you can also. <laughs> How did you get here? We don't know. <laughs> Maybe someone sent you a link. It's hard to say. If you're at one of those podcast places, though, you can rate and review us because it'll help other knitters find us. You can also follow us on Instagram because that's where we like to post our pictures. Mm-hmm. You can support us on Patreon. We've got a Patreon account. On our Patreon, we share extra content, pictures of me meeting horses at rest stops on highways. <laughs> like, you never know what's going to happen, but you definitely want to be there to see it. Also, send us your questions because your letters are fun. We talk to you about the things you want to know about. You can email us <laughs> at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. Or if you're on the Make Good Pod website, which is makegoodpod.com, we have a contact form. So if you can't remember the email, that's okay. You can just go there and fill out the form and we will hear from you. Bye. Bye.